Sword of a Saint, A Hunt for Hope, Chapter One. Perhaps it had all been a dream, a bad dream. A dream of hell, fire, and blood. Perhaps they would sleep and awaken to a land that was green, fat, and healthy. But with every dawn the sun rose from the dark and sought in vain to bring colour to the world. A world that was grey, weak, and dying. The prince broke the silence, his words striking the palace walls and echoing through the long dark halls. I sometimes wonder if this is God's judgment. The only remaining free Saxons in Britain. The last Christian kingdom, beset on all sides by the largest heathen army we have ever seen. It's a dark day for Wessex, Lord, and for the children of Christ. Beside him, the young priest made the sign of the cross, as if warding off some invisible evil. The prince could not decide which was worse, the fall of Engelland or the fall of the church. Your brother, Alfred, were the same. Before he could find the words to reply, memories of the battle came flooding back into Alfred's mind, though try as he might to put such thoughts out of his head. It had been a bloody business. The Danes had been outnumbered, but they held the high ground, and before the day was through, the blood of hundreds was sown into the soil. The king is badly wounded. The young prince spoke formally, trying to keep his emotions in check. He was dealt a blow most men don't survive, and yet by the grace of God he is still with us. But he hesitated, unwilling to say what he knew was a simple truth. I fear that, despite the zeal of Bishop Wighead, Ethelred, the king, I fear he lacks the strength to remain in this world with us. He did not have to look at his old friend to know the look in his eyes. Father Leah Sigger had grown up in the monastery where Alfred was taught his letters. His eyes dark brown as had once been his hair, before it had been shaved in devotion to God. In his less pious years, the young Prince Alfred and the impressionable acolyte had been inseparable, much to the worry of the abbot, who was usually left to clear up after their mischief. Neither of them spoke for what felt like hours. Instead, the long stone corridor was filled with nothing but a weak light from the braziers and an eerie silence, save for the sputtering of those sickly flames. Suddenly, Leofsiger leaned over towards his friend and forced a hollow smile. Do you remember the time we hid a goose in Father Cuthbert's bedchamber? He ripped apart his bed linens and laid an egg in his chamber pot. Father Cuthbert? He asked, still lost in thought. The one with the limp. He made us apologize to St. Weaber for our sins and he came after us with his crook. Alfred couldn't help but let his mouth spread into a grin at the fond memory. His face ached from the unfamiliar gesture. Weirbur. Was she the one who chased all those geese out of Weedon Beck? That's the one, Lord. Your father was furious. He stormed into the abbey and smacked you round the head for all to see. He remembered that part of the story. How could he ever forget? 
the sting of his father's hand, and the shame he felt when he looked up to see the Saviour on the cross, looking down on his sin as if weeping. What was it he said to you again? You'll never be a king if you fight amongst your own people. In truth, his father hadn't put it quite as eloquently as that, but Alfred never wished to forget his father's words, especially now, with Ethelred so close to martyrdom. Without any warning, the great wooden doors in front of their seat swung open as the heavy iron latch was twisted up and the old timber creaked and moaned as if in agony. One of the king's household warriors stepped through and beckoned the prince inside, his chainmail glinting in the low light. Alfred immediately jumped to his feet. For a moment, all he wanted to do was run into that room, hug his brother, cry, beg him not to go. But he knew he couldn't. He was to be king. King of the only surviving Saxons. I can't appear to be weak, he thought to himself. I can't appear to feel anything. Emotions only betray your weakness. Alfred was about to walk into his brother's chambers, but almost as if by some divine joke, he felt the sickness come over him again. He stumbled forward, desperately trying to hide the pain. The pain that seared his bones and surged through his body, an unforgiving wave of fire that beat against him like the sea beats the rocks till they are warped and flattened. With all his might, Alfred concentrated on taking each small step, but his legs betrayed him and he began to fall. But before he could, someone caught him from behind, cradling him in their outstretched arms. My lord, you need to rest. The sickness is still in you. The priest spoke quietly, not wishing for the whole palace to hear. I have been dealing with this for many years, my friend. I know how to keep my feet. Alfred shrugged Father Leif Sigur away and stood up proudly, hiding the pain behind his stony face. I've left my brother waiting long enough. Without another word, Alfred walked into the king's chambers and heard the door slam shut behind him. His fists were clenched so tight his knuckles had turned white. For a heartbeat, Alfred closed his eyes to hide tears he could feel gathering in the corners. When he opened them again, he saw the light of the torches, the rushes on the floor, elaborate paintings of saints covering the bare walls, and the king's bed in the centre. Five of Ethelred's housecarls stood around the room, holding spears and still expressions, dressed in full wool gear, polished chainmail, and clean black boots. Bishop Wighead stood in front of a small altar, upon which sat a silver basin filled with water and a silver cross, studded with amber. Alfred always thought he was a mad-looking man, with restless blue eyes, a weathered face, thin white hair, but a thick beard that touched his bony waist. In the middle of the wide room lay his brother, on his bed of rich linens and silks, but the lavish colours of expensive red and gold failed to hide the king's pallor. When Alfred saw him, a lump caught in his throat. Ethelred's skin was like candle wax, and his dark hair was thin and matted like parchment. He sat against the pillow, looking at his younger brother, but his hazel eyes seemed emptier somehow. 
as if so much of this once great man had bled away from his wound. It's good to see you, brother. The king's voice was weak, but just to hear him speak filled Alfred with hope. I am well, my lord. Don't you dare call me that now, brother. I'm not going to have a last conversation hidden amongst curtsy. His outburst was comforting. He still had the will to fight. But no, I am. Um, I didn't call you here to speak my last words. I will have one last fight by God. Ethelred gestured to Bishop Wigheard, and the old priest stepped forward, taking Alfred by the arm and dragging him with surprising strength to the water basin. Look in there, my lord. What do you see? Alfred didn't understand the point of his question, but he played along. I see brown eyes, brown hair, an unattractive beard, my clean-shaven jaw. No, my lord. The frustration in his voice was tantamount to treason, but Alfred couldn't help but tease the old man. He was a good Christian, but his fanaticism concerned Alfred. Look closer. Alfred paused. I don't follow, father. I see the future king of Wessex, the one who will be left behind to fight the heathen. The bishop spoke with pride and sincerity, but his smile quickly turned into a frown. I see a weak man who cannot visit his king without assistance, who cannot walk through the door without faltering. You are sick, Alfred. The prince bridled at the informality in his voice. Address me with respect, father. Do not forget who you are talking to. Suddenly, the bishop leaped back with a smile that spread from ear to ear. There it is, my lord. Power. You have it. I knew you did, but that won't be enough to stop the servants of the devil. Behind Wigheard, the king stirred in his bed. I'm getting tired, father. Okay, enough for the dramatics. The bishop looked downhearted at the sudden reproach. He bowed and stepped back towards the end of the king's bed, accidentally walking straight into one of the guards to much dismay. Alfred fought very hard to hide his smile. St. Alban, brother. What do you remember about him? Alfred fought hard for a second before remembering his lessons. A Roman soldier, converted by a fugitive priest, he was beheaded for saving the priest's life, but not before the executioner's eyes fell out for his sin. Right. That's the one, brother. He's a true warrior of God, and something Wessex's eyes desperately. Amen. Something I intend to give her. It was hard to see where his brother was going with this story. What are you suggesting, brother? That we go to his burial site, take that holy sword and cut the head of that Viking snake. Praise God. One by one, each of the guards muttered the bishop's words to themselves. But Alfred could not share in their enthusiasm. The desecration of a Christian burial is a heinous crime, brother. One I fear that might incur greater suffering on Wessex. The Lord will understand our need, my prince. We are running out of options, Alfred. Our men need hope. Hope that we can still fight them. What better symbol for Wessex than a new king wielding the sword of a saint? A holy blade with the power to convert all the heathens to the one true god. Or perhaps send them to him. The bishop did not look impressed by Alfred's retort. If you have a better plan, I'm all for hearing it, brother. 
Alfred didn't know what to say. He wanted to believe that God's power would save them. But a 500-year-old sword seemed a long shot. Must I be the one to wield it? Ethelred smiled, before answering solemnly. You both know that I won't be here to, brother. But I'm not going to let you do this yourself. I'm coming with you too. The prince was shocked. He did not expect such foolishness from his brother, his king. Brother, you can't. I can and I will. Ethelred's anger had come quickly, but it left just as swift. We leave tomorrow morning, brother, with a small party. No more than 50 men. Get some rest, Alfred. You may need it. The Abbey of St. Albans lies north of London, some 20 miles into enemy territory. This is not going to be easy, brother. But this is for Wessex. If I have to go along with this, this is for England, Alfred thought to himself. And so the next battle had begun. You have been listening to Sword of a Saint, A Hunt for Hope, starring James Carpenter, Dermot Agbeko, George Andrade, and Joash Kari. The story was written by Kari Originals, and the music by Joash Kari Music. is in danger. Wessex is in danger. Stand with me and fight them back. Slaughter them for the glory of God. <laughs>